0: Now, if you're an educator and you have to prepare your kids to fly that plane or to work on that plane, Mm -hmm. that's a scary thought because Mm -hmm. they haven't figured out what makes the plane fly and what keeps it in the air. And how can I prepare somebody for something that it's still evolving, extremely dynamic you know, from day to day, if not from year to year, right? right? So what I mentioned earlier, right, our goal is to give the kids the, 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 the skills and the, and, the, and the competencies to survive or to get a job, get a career. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to know where their job is, and I need to know what the career is, and I need to know what I prepare them for. With esports, it's unclear to me what I'm preparing them for, what is unique about esports that I'm preparing them for, what's different from the sports entertainment industry. And I have to say this, right, sports is a huge phenomenon cultural phenomenon in industry but there's so many sides to it <clears throat> What we're doing at UNT is really the sport business the sport entertainment business mm-hmm. side of it
1: my name is dr. Mark Williams welcome to my masterclass I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University And currently, I'm the Global Scholar Practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges. It's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Good day, my friends. Welcome to Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast. I am back, I'm your host. It's been two months, my friends, and uh, it was for good reason. Many of you know, I was very close to my mother. My mother passed away of COVID, and I'm not here to give any lessons of what people should or shouldn't do, but I'm urging you, my listeners, my viewers, please take this thing seriously. My mother, as many of you know, suffered from lupus cancer and diabetes for the past eight years, and she contracted COVID and she was gone Two weeks. And so it's not, it's a very serious. I got vaccinated, I got uh, Moderna. I wasn't going to get vaccinated, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't. I wasn't going to get vaccinated and then when I saw my mother in that condition and saw what happened to her, it, it, I immediately got vaccinated. So I encourage you, I implore you, my friends, please take care of yourselves, take care of the environment, people around you. This is not a political issue. This is serious stuff, my friends. And I pray that one day that we can all be maskless and we can start giving each other pounds and handshakes and hugs again, cuz you know I love I love human beings, I love people, but I'm excited to be back here to the MAP Esports Podcast Network. This is what we're powered by. Also, Innovation Media Enterprises. Got to give a big shout-out to Aaron and Sia, always holding it down. And I got my main man, a new main man. AJ has gone, as you know. He's held us down with the uh, audio. But I got a new main man called Gage Gage. Gage. Gage is here. He's on the wheels of steel. When I say on the wheels of steel, you know what I mean by that. I don't mean he's like the DJ, but he holds me down, makes me sound good. You know what I'm saying? He's a sound engineer. But today we have a very special guest. We have a gentleman here who I who I really come to get to know and like a lot because not because he's an academic cat, but he's got the coolest accent. And he's not from Alabama. And no, you're not. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guess where he's from, okay? But I got my main man over here, Doctor Bob here over 20 years in academia, close to 20 years in academia. He's a director of sport management at the University of North Texas at Frisco because there's the Denton campus and there's the Dallas campus. We're going to talk a little bit about Frisco, with, with how innovative and what, what makes it different. So I got to Give a big shout out to Dean Randall and, and Dr. Patel. those are my guys down there. He was also a director of the PhD program at the University of South Carolina. Got to give a big shout out to Dr. Richard Southall, my main man down there in South Carolina, holding it down. He was at UT Austin over five years, but internationally He's been to the Netherlands, because I'm not going to say that's where he's from, but he went. He he did his academic work in the Netherlands. He also taught there in the Netherlands at uh, two different universities, and he's also in, in a, at a university in New Zealand as well. So he's going to talk a little bit about that, the international scene. He, he earned his Ph.D. in sport management from Florida State. Got to give another shout-out to Dr. Jeffrey James. You're wondering, how does Dr. Mark know all of these people? And why are these shouting these people out? Because these are people that had some influence on in my life. And I almost went to Florida State. Many of you don't know this. In 2009, I was going to do a Ph.D. in sport management, but I decided to do it in education at West Virginia University. But Dr. Jeffrey James recruited me to come to do my Ph.D. there. And guess what? Dr. Here... That was his first PhD student. See, you got to be nice to people. You don't know how anybody can have an effect on your life. That's why you got to be genuine and kind and nice to everybody because everybody's connected. We're not six degrees of separation. We're more like one degree, especially with the Internet now. We were just having this friendly conversation. And he was like, hey, Dr. James, he was my my advisor. I was his first PhD student. And I'm like, wow. So that's why you got to be kind to people because you don't know where anybody's going to be when you meet people, when you're moving up and when you're coming down. Always be kind to people. And he also receives his Master's in International Affairs from the University of Amsterdam. So without further ado, uh, let me introduce you my dear friend, Dr. Bob here. What's up, man?
0: Mark, thanks for having me. Love to be here, and thanks for that that, that, that introduction. I'd, I'd have to do one correction, otherwise I'm going to just get some angry people. <laughs> I was the first doc student in Florida State as from Jeff James at Florida State. Yeah. He had doc students before he came, he was at the University of Illinois, there are guys out there, so I didn't, you know, in case they do hear this and you know oh let's so,
1: not give the, uh, game the wrong uh, impression oh uh, uh, so i i that florida state so not his that first one ever <laughs> but yeah so be proud of that that's pretty dope that's, yeah that's pretty dope and he is he still the, the head of the program there he's now he's still the head of the program there absolutely wow. yeah. yeah yeah maybe i should go back and get another phd no 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 more PhDs. i'm <laughs> done i'm done so dr here I, I jokingly i joked about your great non-alabama accent so tell everybody where are you from
0: now I feel like it's a letdown to say that I am from the Netherlands, born and raised, and came from a small town called Herugowaard, mm-hmm. which is about 40 miles north of Amsterdam. I went to the University of Amsterdam and and spent six, seven years there. That still feels a little bit like my spiritual home, so when people say, well, where are you from, know where you're really from, mm-hmm. you know, because... The first time, I tell them Texas, and they say, "No, no, where you're really from?" Right. Then the answer is always Amsterdam, because that still feels sometimes as home, even though I haven't been there in two years because of this horrible thing that's going on. And hopefully, uh, people just listen to you and gonna get, get the vaccine because
1: get it, and we can get on with our lives. Listen to the good doctor. Get it, get the vaccine. Did you which one did you get? I got Pfizer. Pfizer. How oh,
0: did it? I don't know. You don't know. You just, you, don't, you know that you got it. <laughs> <laughs> got the double one. I, no, I think it was Pfizer. Okay. Maybe on Monday or not. One of
1: those two. I don't know. What's it, at, what's it like at UNT? Are they, are they, is it mandatory for professors and students to get the vaccine or is it, or is it, what is it like?
0: It's, it's not mandatory. I don't think we're allowed to, but highly encouraged. And, you know, a lot of promotions of it, a lot of encouragement. And if you don't, right, th- there are definitely some things you have to adhere to. So, yeah, no, I, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm assuming that most, uh, particularly the professors, right, older people, they know the risk. I, I think that most of them are vaccinated by mm-hmm. now. But, no, you don't have to. Okay. And, and this fall, everything goes back to normal, right? We're going to teach face-to-face mm-hmm. uh, again. We're excited about So hopefully our students are, are smart enough mm-hmm. and, and, you know, get the vaccine and so they can go on with their lives.
1: So tell me, in this past spring, what was it like at your school? Because when I was at Florida Memorial University, we, we, we didn't make it mandatory that they come to class. They had a choice. They can do it online or come to class. What was it like for you at UNT and Frisco campus?
0: Well, we made, as a program, right, so it really depends on program, department, college. But as a program, we decided we wanted to do everything online. Okay. We didn't want to do both because you can't serve two audiences at the same time, right? You, you do it in person, face-to-face in the classical way, or you do it online. We wanted to stay online, partly because, and this seems counterintuitive, but we do a lot of project-based learning, experiential learning, and you have to huddle up for that. Mm-hmm. And with <coughs> Zoom online, you can put them in breakout rooms, they can meet, you can come back, and in the classroom, we actually were not allowed to get you know, within six feet, so you couldn't have them huddle up, and if it then becomes kind of like a one-way direction, where you just lecture, you know we don't do we we don't lecture to our students and I think that for a lot of our colleagues who are used to lecturing and a lot of them do it they hated Zoom because you know student zone out. That lecture you can't do online effectively. But if you use it as meeting time and do project-based learning, Zoom was actually better in that way than going to Classroom. So we were still online and it made it easier to bring in some guests and and do some stuff with them. So it really didn't hinder that much. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, we're excited to go back in person Mm -hmm. because it does make a person a a difference if you see if you can see someone in their eyes you can shake hands Right, and particularly guest lectures it it makes it
1: more personal so
0: Mm -hmm. we're excited to go back to normal but we were fine.
1: We were fine. was it like for you when you were growing up and growing up as a young man, what was uh, your parents, how much of an influence did they play in terms of how you have developed as, a, as, a, as an individual? Because one of the things I've learned about you in a few years I've known you is your your spirit of, of loving mankind. Where, where did that come from?
0: Wow, my, my, my spirit of loving mankind. I, I often get... Uh, I often get the, the the criticism that I'm actually too critical towards people around me, so I'll say that too. <laughs> I um, must
1: not be around you enough, because I, no, I since I've been around you, no, you, you I like your yeah. description better. Yeah. I'll, I'll go for that. <laughs> now,
0: I'll say this, right? So I'm I'm I come from a blue collar family. My dad was uh, was a detective, or first a cop, then a detective. My mom was a secretary, mm-hmm. part time first, full time when I got a little bit older, and you know worked her. Butts of their entire life to make something. You know, never had really any education, and I, I was the first student to go to the university. And yeah. I was my brother, my older brother, went to the navy, and after that he went into uh, the police force. You know, following my dad's track. So I was the first one to go to the university and discover that, and and, and find my own way. And I think what I've gotten from that, what allowed me to survive all that and and, and continue to, is 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 curiosity, is is openness the mantra in my family work hard and 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 be kind and respectful to everyone Mm. so you know i I like to be critical you and i are going to talk about esports so you know how i feel about that right And i I won't talk around that yeah but always with with the kindness and the respect for other people for what they've accomplished or were trying to accomplish and in the dutch culture in general we're very believe in e- equality, mm-hmm. and 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 there's not a lot of formal distance between people. So it's normal in Holland to question other people and and to have good discussions and and and, and debate. So I think that kind of like came natural to me, and and I'm I'm never emotional about it. And and I think you can do that in, in sometimes that got lost here in America, mm-hmm. and people get so ingrained in their beliefs and their feelings. And but it, it's fine to. Disagree, and, yeah. and you know, just have respect uh, for other people's point of view. And
1: you know, living in a different nation, you're used to that, and yeah, it works. Yeah, how, how do you how do you encourage that in your classroom when you have young men and women who might come from American culture, where most, not all, but a lot of us, we get emotional about our points. And how do you get them to communicate in a way that's healthy?
0: <sighs> well, to Encourage creativity, encourage the preparedness of coming to class, mm-hmm. calling them out if they're not prepared, which, you know, I don't always have great teaching evaluations because I call them out and, and they're not used to it. Our, our, the, the educational system is not always set up to create critical thinking, to, to encourage that, you know, encouraging them to disagree with me and sometimes make statements that I don't believe in myself, just to get a response from them. And to, to find some way that you can have a, a healthy debate and, and get their input. Mm-hmm. And, and if they do that and then they get the encouragement like, hey, you know, this works or I say something smart or good, you mm-hmm. know, then you can build from that, right? They feel mm-hmm. empowered. So, it's, it's, it's not easy. It helps, again, project-based learning. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more discussion, right? Because you basically give him a project and find a solution, and he give feedback. So, in many ways, you become more of a mentor and a coach than than a professor. Mm-hmm. And then it, that comes back to us. I don't like the lecture anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to do it. as a young professor, and you know, even mid-career, I, I lectured way too much, mm-hmm. and and just stop doing that, and then really engage and have a dialogue and, and work on projects together. And, It works so much better
1: what made what made you make the shift because when i was coming up and going to college and then eventually going to grad school one of the things that (laughs) i always found fascinating is is professors you know have egos like everyone else and professors want to show you how how smart they are and what their research says and does and college kids are not thinking about especially in 2021 and they don't care about your research how did you pivot to get them to engage with you in ways that they understood in the 2021 language of the of the young people that we see now
0: the shift is easy but i think you're right i think there's one component lacking there right so one mo- motive for for a professor to talk is like hey listen i've I know so much, let yeah, me yeah, share yeah. that with yeah, you, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're overflowing, like, hey, I wanna share my story. Yeah. But the second component is that a lot of professors are introverts, and introverts mm. like to control The situation, Mm. and so introverts are not natural standing in front of a group trying to have a free-flowing discussion. Mm -hmm. That doesn't come easy to them. That's something that really they have to get used to. So an introvert will always try to just control the conversation. And how better to do that than have your own PowerPoint, (laughs) right? And go slide by slide because you dictate what's happening in the classroom. Whereas if you go into this, you know, more interaction and free flow you have no control over it and introverts are uncomfortable with that right Mm. so those are the two components that you always have to think about Mm. and something for me as well to overcome would you consider yourself an
1: introvert or, or maybe in the, in between both yeah,
0: yeah I, at some point I called myself an extroverted introvert mm-hmm. which means you know I'm, I'm comfortable with and around people but it does take energy and I always need a day to recharge afterwards <laughs> if it's pretty intense okay. uh, but at the same time as I grow older I, I, I feel myself growing more towards actually an extrovert again which is mm-hmm. really surprising to me because I thought it would be more and more an introvert so it, it's it, I'm, in the mi- I'm in the middle of that and mm-hmm. part of the reason why UNT attracted me was because of the relationships we could build with the industry and meeting people and create this network for students. Mm-hmm. And and I've loved I love doing that. So I'm I'm becoming more of an extrovert where again and maybe that's why my teaching is also shifting in that direction where yeah, no lectures. And the reason why we actually stopped is TED talk. And and it's not necessarily TED talk, but it's a good example of there are so many amazing platforms nowadays where you can have the one-way direction, where you have the best lectures, where you have the best, best stories. You really don't need me anymore to be one of those voices. I can't compete with that either. Mm-hmm. So having the students listen to people in their own time, mm-hmm. whether that's audio or video, and then come to class to discuss that is, is much more powerful. because before the internet, or even in the early stage of the internet, they students look for you as a professor to provide them with the information. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for us to provide them the information. They can find the information on everything and anything, whether it's Siri, Alexa, Google, right? All the information is there. Right. So they don't need us to tell them a story anymore. Mm-hmm. They need us to help us make sense of the story, mm-hmm. right? And to evaluate it and and to synthesize it with other things they hear and to apply it in their own, you know, work. And mm-hmm. that's really. <coughs> I started to realize that. That's when we make the shift as a program, saying, "Okay, you know what? That's what we're doing. We're not in. We're not in the business anymore of providing information. Mm-hmm. We're in the business of helping you transfer, convert information into skills." Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. How, now, how, what kind of advice would you give to your colleagues, to our colleagues that uh, still have the mindset they want to have control? I mean, there's nothing wrong with having control of your classroom. You should have control of your classroom. But in terms of, because we want to make the, we want differentiate, to differentiate between having control of your classroom by students having respect versus you controlling the whole entire classroom and kids, students can't say anything. So what, what, what Dr. Here is saying that he finds it more advantageous to, uh, you know, have students come with their ideas, but have have the professor there as a sense to help make sense of what the ideas are. And with a little sprinkle of a little bit of, let me tell you a little bit about who I am and what I do and what, what this is, because I think students will have a, a more healthier respect that way. But how do you, how do you, how do you talk to your colleagues or even give them advice on, you know, your teaching methods or teaching styles? Because it's, it's obviously it's is maybe different from the average, from the traditional professor that teaches that may be teaching at a Research One school or or someone that's teaching in maybe the way my dad taught or maybe our professors taught us. How how do you communicate with your colleagues that might be frustrated when they say these students aren't listening or these students don't get it? What do you say to those colleagues? Stop lecturing. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, I, I'm not going to say that this
0: is even innovative, right? I mean, maybe the sixty-seven percent of my, prof- my 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 colleagues are already doing this, and I was late to the party. So I'm not yeah. going to say like, but if there are people who are still doing it and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to get a response, mm-hmm. you know, the first step, stop lecturing, mm-hmm. and and if you're then worried about well, but I need to give them the information, record your lectures. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody can do that now, and and for a lot of people have overwon their their fear for online education because they had to the last year. So right. and, and Zoom makes it so easy. Mm-hmm. So if you still want to lecture, <coughs> record all your lectures on Zoom, mm-hmm. post them online, and then you have the lectures, and then basically you're done for the next semester. <laughs> you don't have to do anything, and then when they come to the classroom, you're just going to ask them questions about the lecture. Yeah. You're still worried. Well, I'm not sure if they watched it. I'm not sure if they got the information. Mm-hmm. All right, you start your classroom with 30 Fifteen minutes of questions about your lecture to sure make mm-hmm. sure they, li- they listen, and then put them to work, and be comfortable. With, you know, not having to do a little bit. It's less work actually, right? If you're not lecturing, it's less work because now you're gonna let them work on it. You walk around, give some feedback, and and adjust to the role of being a coach. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really a mindset. It's there, there is nothing skillful about it. It's mm-hmm. less skillful actually. But yeah, th- it's it's. A lot of people are uncomfortable with it. And I haven't connected with a lot of my colleagues since the start of COVID about this. Mm-hmm. I, I am curious what a lot of them will do this fall and how many will go back to lecturing mm-hmm. as nothing has happened. Right, right. I can only assume that many of them shifted. But I also know of people who use online to do online lectures. Right. And they're complaining. And then I'm like. <laughs> Come on, don't ask somebody on Zoom to listen, you know, to watch a screen to either your face or a PowerPoint slide where all this other stuff is going on. Right. And there's no check and balances anymore. There's no fellow students to correct you. There's no polit- – because you can turn off your camera even, right? Yep, and yeah. and it, you can do whatever you want. So it you can't lecture through that. Right. Um, and if people still don't see that, then I, I feel I feel bad for them.
1: Well, I just want to friendly remind everyone you're listening to the Dr. Mark's Masterclass podcast. We're talking to Dr. Bob here. He's a director of sport management over at UNT uh, Frisco, and we are powered by Map Esports Podcast Network and Innovation Media Enterprises. Aaron and CS, shout out to them. Also to my new, new main man, Gage, for the wheels of steel. Let's let's shift uh, the gears a little bit because you know this is the the Map Esports Podcast Network. We talk about video games, we talk about the, the industry, we talk about and now that you and I are here talking as edu- fellow educators, let's get into this thing about esports, yeah. okay? So, Dr. Here and I, a few years ago, we started talking about esports in academia. You know, <laughs> we both have backgrounds in sport management. He has his PhD in sport management. I have my master's in sport management, and I worked in industry. and And so, we have a healthy respect for each other's background in our work. But one of the things that I was really uh, serious about and still serious about is esports as it relates to the academic side. I was saying that, hey, we should have a major and this is how it should be, and schools are so far behind, they're not gonna get it. And then Dr. Hero's like, wait a minute, Mark, is it really a discipline? Do they really need a major? And it's funny because now, after two years, I thought about it. I've, I've, as as, we, as animal health, we seen, we saw, we came, right? I, I I'm now I'm now leaning more towards your ideology. Tell tell everybody what your thoughts are about esports as a discipline or as a major at the college level or even at the high school level. What 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 is it about the topic or just the what it is that 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 kind of like makes you like okay, let's slow down everybody.
0: Well, I, and I'm just going to paraphrase, not cite because I haven't memorized it, but I'll paraphrase uh, Jason Lake, right, the CEO of Complexity, one of the oldest, most respected uh, esports organizations who, who once said, you know, we're building the plane as we fly it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an educator and you have to prepare your kids to fly that plane or to work on that plane, mm-hmm. that's a scary thought because mm-hmm. they haven't figured out what makes the plane fly and what it keeps it in the air. And... How can I prepare somebody for something that it's still evolving extremely dynamic, you know from day to day, if not from year to year, right? So what I mentioned earlier, right? our goal is to give the kids the, 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 the skills and the, and the, and the competencies to survive or to get a job, get a career. Mm-hmm. Well then I need to know where their job is, and I need to know what the career is, and I need to know what I prepare them for. With eSports, it's unclear to me what I'm preparing them for. What is unique about esports that I'm preparing them for? What's different from the sports entertainment industry? And i have to say this, right? Sports is a huge phenomenon, cultural phenomenon industry, but there's so many sides to it. (coughs) What we're doing at UNT is really the sport business, the sport entertainment business Mm -hmm. side of it. Now, esports fits really well in there because that's what esports is. It's it's creating a sport out of a video game, Mm -hmm. entertaining people. So in that regard, it fits into our normal curriculum, it means that the competencies we teach to our students apply to that industry mostly you know when you talk about corporate partnerships where you talk about analytics where you talk about communication uh, you know, operations marketing and so so in that regard there is not that e- there's uniqueness to the esports or some of these esports but there's also uniqueness to the football industry, there's uniqueness to the horse racing industry, there's mm-hmm. uniqueness to the golf industry. Doesn't mean that we need golf management, football management, and horse race management, right? And that's with esports. And again, that, that title is misleading because you should technically then say, you know, Counter Strike and Rocket League and, you know, and, and, and all of these are different again, right? Uh, because they use different
1: formats in different ways. So, can so you think that academics, because you see, look, everyone. <laughs> Esports is just a sliver of the video game industry. It's like maybe 7% of it. So when I hear people say, we're gonna start an esports uh, major, and I'm looking at academics, the provost, the deans, and I'm looking like, why? Because it's like saying you're gonna start uh, sport management, but you're gonna just focus on basketball, okay? Yeah. Right? And and that, that's the that's the problem I have now, because when you open my eyes to that, when you start a pre- telling me, and I wanna say preaching, when you're telling me this, I'm now looking at how, how I have my doctorate in, um, in curriculum. So as I'm thinking about writing curriculum, I'm thinking, wait a minute. As I'm thinking about this, this is, this is just a sliver of it. So you really shouldn't be making esports uh, majors. You should maybe be looking at concentrations and how do you fuse it with, with sport management because mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's part of that. It's part of that. So how do you communicate to a provost or to a dean or to a chair about, or even a parent about where, how esports can live in academia?
0: Yeah, well, I got the question at UNT when I came here. UNT is, is is very innovative when it comes to eSports, right? We have, we have a thriving team within our intramurals. Our, our teams are very competitive. We give out scholarships based on eSports. So the president asked me, saying, should we have an eSports program? And I was the one who said, no. But should we have eSports integrated into our sports entertainment management business degrees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and you know we have great relationships. And I mentioned complexity earlier. You know, we've John Davidson is a good friend of mine. He's on advisory board. I've had uh, lots John of John Davidson is a
1: Map Esports, guest podcast. He's one of my colleagues here as well.
0: Yes, you know we have I've, I've had interaction with the guys from Team Envy and and early on with with the the, the Infinity when we were still at our in our at our offices. Mm-hmm. So, you know. We have, we have students who work for them. And, and so we have not integrated. We do case studies. We do projects. We bring guest lecturers in. So it's not like we ignore it. Mm-hmm. We just don't see it as, indeed, as a uniqueness. Because you mentioned, you, you compare saying, hey, you don't have a basketball degree. But I would say with esports, it's even more dangerous because it's not one sport. Right? You have, let's say, 5, 10, 15, 20 different slivers right, right of that video gaming industry. And that's what we've still been looking at. And we haven't figured that. Part of the possible out is, okay, the video gaming industry is enormous. Mm-hmm. That's the big industry. That's bigger than the music industry, bigger than the, the movie industry. Is there something more we can do there? That's 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 in between engineering, software, business, entrepreneurship, right? Where you can bring that together, mm. because I think that is a very intriguing field that mm. I still think we don't serve as well as we could. Esports is just yeah. A small sliver of it, and, it, and it's a fascinating world, and I love it because lo- I'm, I'm drawn by entrepreneurship, and there's a lot of entrepreneurship, and I'm drawn by innovation, and there's a lot of innovation going on. Mm-hmm. We have a partnership with Stadia Ventures, which is an accelerator. They actually do an esports event tomorrow that mm-hmm. I'm attending, and mm-hmm. you know, so we're definitely plugged in. I just don't think there's a need for an esports degree, and I'm very worried about universities that start this degree. And I question sometimes the motives, is, is that because they actually feel a need from the industry that they prepare the students for? Or are they attracting students with a degree that speaks to them and their generation uh, just to get them to the university, but we're not preparing them for the next
1: step, right? So mm.
0: that is my. Uh, I'm worried about that. Right? So think, are we are we
1: questioning the integrity of higher education now because of the getting attendance up?
0: <laughs> not not the integrity. Yeah, uh, but I think that every university has always has to figure out. You know, one end. Hey, we need to bring in the students. Right. right there, there are two sides to that to that, uh, that pipeline. You have right. to bring them in. You have to produce them. I say about sport management sometimes. And this is the reason why at UNT, they're actually BBA and MBA degrees, right? Mm-hmm. So they're actually concentrations within the business degree. Mm-hmm. And you know, it'll lure students in and that's fine because they'll w- walk away with a BBA degree and if they can't get that dream job with the Cowboys and the Mavericks or the Rangers, you know, they get a BBA degree and they'll be hired by Southwest, Amazon, mm-hmm. Farmers Insurance, or whatever the company is, right? right? So, in that regard, if if you do a business degree with a concentration in esports that prepares these kids for get some graduate and get some job <clears throat> that don't necessarily have to be in esports, I have no problem with that.
1: Yeah, I have a my, my issue <clears throat> right now is universities, especially after COVID, are challenged with enrollment and what is it gonna what are, what are we gonna do to get students to come to our school? And I think, not questioning the integrity of of universities, but mine is about intention. Uh, If it's it's to get enrollment, that's great, but hire people that really understand the business of it because your your students are not going to get jobs. So you can bring all the students in you want. But we just happen to be here in Dallas right now, or in, or in Arlington, or in Frisco, which is like the Silicon Valley for esports and for the gaming industry. So if you go to school down here, high school or college down here, or even middle school or grammar school, you 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 can find a school or you can find opportunities here because we're right here. Yep. However, relationship driven. Okay, so for me, it's not about. It's really about. How, how are we communicating the message to our students? How are we attracting the students and what kind of how are we setting it up at the university? Is it going to be a concentration? Is it going to be a certificate program? Is it connected to sport management? Is it going to be like uh, is it going to be like the Ohio State and, and, it, and it touches various different programs? So everyone's different yep. and they have to figure out what's, what's different and unique about it. One thing I love about UNT Frisco, is that, that's different from UNT Denton, is that you are... Wait, wait, wait hold on. UNT Frisco is a college within UNT Denton. Right. right so it, right. they are the same. They're the same. But in They're terms of what you're doing, your specific, your campus, where you're at, is that you're more, I would say, more experiential learning, would you say, and more innovation? I Well, that I, I would think that's program specific. Yeah, UNT Frisco would
0: like to be as innovative as as, as possible and, and mm-hmm. focuses really on, on that, that experiential component. Right. I don't want to short sell UNT Denton, right? Which no. which is the overall campus and, and where many professors are doing exactly the same. But if you look at it at from UNT Frisco, as the college there. Yes, they make it a big point to to impress on their faculty and and on their support staff to be as innovative and, and mm-hmm. experiential as possible.
1: So let's say a parent wants to send their child to a campus, UNT. They want their child to go to UNT. There's three different campuses. There's, there's, there's Denton, which is a larger campus. There's Frisco, and then there's Dallas. And so they all have three different demographics almost, right? So Dr. Mong, who's the president of UNT Dallas, they may serve the, the community. The, the household income might be about 30000 or so, right? So there's a different demographic that they're servicing there. I think 74% of the students that go there are women. So they're now trying to attract men, particularly men of color, because it's mostly a Hispanic-served institution. So that's so, if, so you have something, if you if you think your child wants to go to a school that is smaller, but it's part of the UNT system, then that may be a, a school for you if that's, th- that's the area you want to go into, possibly. Then you have Frisco, where you're at. Tell us a little bit about your campus and how it differentiates itself from UNT Dallas and then UNT Denton.
0: Yeah, and, and, and again, and I know there's a confusion to a lot of people from the DFW area. The UNT Dallas is its own university, mm-hmm. separate, right? separate, completely separate. Okay. Partly because of the things you just mentioned, right? UNT Denton is an R1 Carnegie-ranked research university, right? The highest category, the, let's say the flagship university within the, in the system. A UNT Frisco is a college that is part of UNT Denton, mm-hmm. and so it, it's it's they're not two separate entities. So everything that 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 matters. Uh, for UNT Denton is the same for Frisco. And right? mm-hmm. so we have to meet the same Carnegie One ranked university expectations, including in a business school, including for faculty, who we hire, how, you know, all those things. So there's a lot of overlap, of course, between UNT Denton and Frisco, and, and, and probably for a lot of students, it's just I mean, where they're taking the classes, right? They don't feel like they're part of either one. Okay. Now, having said that, UNT Frisco is somewhat of the dependance it's it's, you know it's its own little you know entity where you know where you can do things you can experiment a little bit more you can do things that that maybe in Denton you know you have less space for just because of the surroundings the city of Frisco right the entrepreneurship the innovation there and that that kind of like seeps into the universities well for some reason the universities are some kind of you know isomorphic system that they kind of like adapt to the environment right? right and and so you see UNT Frisco that college adapting to Frisco whereas UNT Denton of course has been there forever and that's you know their
1: own thing okay so out of all the schools that you've been at you've been to you've been internationally you've been at university University of Texas you've been a lot of places what what makes UNT Frisco something that speaks to your soul and your spirit what makes you want to get up every day and say I, got, I can't wait to go to work
0: I mentioned it earlier I'm a first generation student right? mm-hmm. I, I was the first of my family to go to university didn't know you know what to expect mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't a really good student either I'll, I'll be honest I mean I you know I didn't really know what it was about I didn't get it I was sitting in the back mm-hmm. listening to my professors so now and then I was a bartender those days so I mm-hmm. bodied a lot probably got safe because you know I'm pretty good at reading and <laughs> and you know do, doing independent learning let's say that way mm-hmm. and that's how I got through but I uh And that stuck with me, right? I was like, listen, I didn't get everything out of my education that I should at that level. Of course, then I didn't know PhD was a whole different story. But as a (coughs) first-generation student, I feel connected with people like that. Mm. And when you're at the flagship university, right, that was at the University of Texas at Austin, University of South Carolina and Columbia, right, the flagship universities, you do have students that mostly their parents went to university, they know what they expect, they're, you know, middle class, upper class, you know, well-to-do families, kids often haven't had work before, you know, they go to college because, you know, they were taken care of. And so now and then I struggle with connecting with that because that was not my background, right? And I had to work myself through college. and mm-hmm. my parents supported me, gave you know helped me, but you know, I worked thirty hours a week. Mm. And that's the kind of student that you have at UNt. Mm. And they're first generation students, very diverse majority minority school, mm-hmm. uh, which I love as well because again, you get more diversity and and kids who just, you know, pull up their sleeves and, and go to work right they're, they're, they're often working particularly our undergrad students they are working through school and so yeah I, I recognize myself in them and, and, and that's, that's the first American university where I really had that connection whereas with you know, Florida State, South Carolina Texas that was a slightly different mm. background student
1: yeah, I find it fascinating the just the, the mindset you have as far as identifying with young people that are first generation or students that had to work hard, you know, the days of our parents or us working 30, 40 years at a job is probably over. You're going to have to have various skill sets and I think in the next 10, 15 years you're going to run into young people whether no matter what kind of family they come from that we're going to see a more ethnically diverse group of young people coming up the ranks in terms of going to college. What do you, what do you, what advice would you give to parents and even educators? And in terms of how we should engage with young people now in our society that we live in now where it's more diverse ethnically, um, more diverse in, in many ways. How do you how do you get people to pivot when they already think a certain kind of way and in, in, in terms of how they're gonna deal with these young people coming up? And how would I talk to teachers and parents? I mean,
0: that's tough. I, I hardly ever talk to them. my students are grown ups. They have to figure it out for themselves, you heard right? That. <laughs> uh, and I would be very uncomfortable around parents because, like, if if I'm talking
1: to a parent, there's something wrong there already. Why are you talking to a parent about them coming to come to your camp, coming to your camp if you went on a recruiting trip with with the admissions office or something to that nature?
0: No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. and I have I, I might have had a couple of conversations, but very few. Mm-hmm. And I'm uncomfortable with conversations because to me that's already that's that's the wrong conversation, right? I shouldn't be talking to parents. I should be talking to the, to the kids, the mm-hmm. 18-year-old, 70-year-old. And you have to talk to them directly and say, Hey, listen, why are you doing? What are you trying to do? And if you're in my field, mm-hmm. which is an aspirational field, and everybody wants to work for the Cowboys, everybody wants to work for the Mavericks, right? Yep. Uh, telling them straight from the start. Right? Mm-hmm. So I don't recruit. Mm-hmm. I dis-recruit. Mm. I tell them, like, listen, you want to do this? You better be ready for it. And um, here's stadiumpeople.com. I'll give the li- link to everybody who listens to this. <laughs> they do the event staffing, the ticket takers at the AT&T Stadium. They always need people, right? These are the people for 10 bucks per hour. Go sign up, get your first job in the sport industry. Get it on your resume. Start interning. Start talking to people. You better be prepared to come to class and do the work mm. because guess what? It's really hard to get into this industry. And mm-hmm. if you're not if you don't have the grit, the determination, and the passion for it, mm-hmm. and you're just going to show up in class and get your, you know, your B plus or your A minus, and you know, graduate with your three point six, and there ain't going to be a job for you in the sporting industry. You're going to be fine in life because you know there are lots of jobs nowadays. Mm-hmm. But if this is what you want to pursue, I'm not going to talk you into it. That's 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 the wrong thing for you gotta me to do. You got to have it already. You, 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 you got to have that passion. Right now, and then for me, it really doesn't matter if you're you know and i don't necessarily as a foreigner think too much in ethnic and race and then it's sometimes uncomfortable for me or over other people because i you know i'm i'm a foreigner you're all american to me right? yeah. but i think often in social class socio-economic classes and understanding that there's a lot of systemic racism in this nation that makes it more likely yeah. that right, a black person is lower socio-economic first et cetera, right but what i want to note in if i had that conversation i feel the degree of determination is there it's like okay now let's talk about the barriers you're facing how mm-hmm. can we overcome this do right. you have to work do you have to make money while you're in school? Can you do an internship? And uh, and and talk with them about things like that so I understand, can I help you in some way to make you see past the barriers you've created for yourself and then emphasizing, get, get engaged. And so that's with, with kids or with parents. And then with the industry, I've been fighting for paid internships <laughs> hmm. because that's a huge exclusionary barrier to getting into the industry right mm-hmm. and 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 i tell you know all the organizations here in dallas fort worth like get paid internships because if you're not you're excluding a big part of our students for your jobs because they can't give up their job to come intern for you for free mm-hmm. and then a lot of those old men still with that night said like oh i did it when it's like you know i just you just got to show the determination like no you didn't have to pay the bills. These kids have to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Give them a paid internship so they can come and then you'll see that your pool becomes much more diverse as well. Mm -hmm. And you no longer have these, let's say, flagship university kids Mm -hmm. that don't have to work and can do all
1: these things for self-actualization and self-development. Well, well, one of the things that I found fascinating, you, you invited me to this boot camp that you do for your graduate students. And when I got there, I didn't know what to expect. I just thought, boot camp, this should be interesting. You got the Dallas Cowboys facility, this should be interesting. But what I found more fascinating was about 85, maybe 90% of your students are students of color. I, I, was that accidental? Or that again, you're, you're, like I said earlier in the conversation, your spirit, and your 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 mindset in terms of how you deal with people, you deal with people based on the spirit, and just and also the fact that you identify with a lot of people that might be blue collar type people. And I'm not saying all black people are blue collar. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that you you I seem to identify with everyone, like me. I I talk to yeah. everybody. How how is it that UNT Denton Carnegie Mellon, you know, Research One School, you know. You know, they don't have a high percentage of minorities, but in your program, you just seem to every year ha- attract students of color. How was how that? How, is that by design or what, how, do, how did that happen? I,
0: I, I would love to take credit for it, but I, I well I don't know. Maybe I, I, I do draw them. Maybe my recruitment conversations are more honest, more straightforward, and, and I can connect with them. I don't think it was 80, 90%, right? But it's, it's, it's a, it's a, we're very proud of that. And right? it's, it's literally, if you see our, you know, the Zoom sessions, right, where you see all the profiles, like this is like United Colors of Benetton, you know, yeah. commercial, and, yeah. and, and so we're very proud of that. And, <clears throat> and it's part of DFW that we have that Unfortunately, as well. I think that with the program you were talking about is our online MBA program, right. which is for working professionals, right? Okay. So you have to have work experience. And I think that we we are drawing black, Latino students to that is because they never had the opportunity to get the extra education that they needed. Mm-hmm. Now they got a job. Mm-hmm. And then they're looking at programs, hey, can we do this? Our online is for work professionals. You don't have to go do a GRE or a GMAT, which is a huge barrier for people of color. And particularly if you're already out there for years, right? I mean, suddenly you have to do a standardized Testing your brain is not trained like that, so you, you struggle with that, and and so and then we have the partnership with the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. which I think also reaches a, a non-traditional audience so now and then. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, we're, we're excited about them. We 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 make sure that they can connect with people like them, mm-hmm. right in in natural way. So here's the thing, one of my pet peeves: a, a panel full of women who are going to talk about women in the industry, mm-hmm. or you know, panel of black people talking about black people in the industry. <laughs> And it's, it's going to be like these cheerleader choir stuff like hey let me tell you what's you know politically correct instead of no just have black people on a panel talking about sponsorship and women talking about marketing and finance and, and and so we you know and our panels you saw that like Great diversity. Yes. So we're yes. not necessarily talking about, hey, well, how does a, w- a black woman make her way into the industry? Right, right. What we do to ask them is stick around, have lunch with them, so they can ask you that. Exactly. Right? And yeah, follow yes, up with you, right? Yes, and you yes. saw those conversations yes. happening as well. And I think that's much more powerful.
1: Yeah, and it was very natural. And what's one of the things that I liked about it, I mean, I, I've gone to. I graduated from UMass Amherst, one of, the, if not the best, you know, leading program in sport management in the country. One of the few first programs founded in the country, and there was only three people of color in my class. And 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 Ohio U, the first school founded on uh, sport management. You know, every every one of these larger schools um, are doing a great job now at, at looking at diversifying their 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 cohorts. One of the schools that, that does the fantastic job is University of Central Florida with Dr. Richard Lapchick. And I love what South Carolina is doing with Dr. Southall and those guys down there. But but what do you see the future in terms of when we look at esports, we look at sport management? What do you see the future in the next ten years in terms of more students of color and more women, ethnic minorities that that, that that may enroll in these types of graduate schools? Do you see more 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 uh, students of color, women, or ethnic minorities enrolling in these programs if they if they adapt if schools adapt to the model that you prescribe at, at UNT? What do you see it just kind of just flattening out in your opinion?
0: Well, it's hard for me to say what, what other schools are doing. I know UMass has has, has, has great uh, diversity on their on their staff, and effectively mm-hmm. they, they do great research on, on gender equality there. Mm-hmm. That, that that puts them on the map. Of course, you know now what the Lab check is doing there. I think that at, at what what we're thinking of is is what I'm seeing in the industry. Let's say this way: is there is right now more demand for people of color than ever before mm-hmm. so from my first cohort that just graduated this this spring some of them in december may kind of like some of them postponed it because of COVID, and it's very hard to get jobs right now the, the black female students of our cohort were, were the ones you know one with the cowboys uh, internship or hopefully convert in a job the other one is is is, is hired by allen uh, americans in business development there's demand there right mm-hmm. so i i do feel and I haven't felt it before, like a real need f- coming from the industry From Hey, we need w- the, the message has been received. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not certain. I'm not going to be naive enough to say, hey, this is going to last forever. Right. But right now, I, I would almost say there, there was no better time to be black students graduating from sport <laughs> management than right now because yeah. d- they feel they have to. and yeah. And hopefully that will remain. And if so, then then. What you will get if that happens is, of course, the more people of color that are working in the industry, the more, the stronger network, the more people they, they will hire from that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the problem with sport is so many people want to work for them. Mm-hmm. That they almost have to rely on network to, to hire someone, right? So, right. teamwork online, you'll get a thousand plus applicant for one job. Mm-hmm. Y- you don't have time to go through a thousand plus mm-hmm. one page resumes. And how are you going to separate one page? Separate, you know, right? That's, that's so. What you're doing is you're relying on people. Hey, you know, do you know somebody here? Do you know something? Let's bring it back to a stack of twenty, and now we're going to start talking. Right. Well, if you get people in your organization now that have different backgrounds and are more diverse, that means that, that that initial stack will also be more diverse, and that's always been. The problem sport management because nepotism is a negative word. I'm not going to say it's negative, but it is that network. And, yeah, if the network is white, then it's going to be, you know, coming in with more white students, and, and hopefully that's changing.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I, I, what you're doing at UNT, at Frisco, what you're, with your uh – with your dean and your colleagues there, it's just phenomenal. And I, again, I I've enjoyed getting to know you, still getting to know you. I'm excited about moving down to Dallas again and learning more about the Frisco campus and you. But but there's something that I, I you, you mentioned to me before. You may have forgotten about it, but we're we're gonna have to get uh, Doctor here back here again to maybe talk more in depth about it. But this Dutch soccer team, okay, talk a lot, tell me about that. How did that come into an existence? That that was a few months ago. Now did did you are. You you did you purchase it or are you one of the one of the owners now what's what's the deal
0: Oh, I thought you were wanted to talk about the national team and, and, and the embarrassing loss of the Euro. So, okay, no, I, yes, okay. I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't no, going to bring that um, up. <laughs> so I, I got approached about three, four months ago by a group of investors here in, in, in Dallas who had an interest in a, in a Dutch professional soccer team and asked me for advice. And that was something, of course, very close to my heart. It's something that, you know, as a teenager, I dreamed of. i playing football manager and running a team and, and, and something I, I, I know a lot about because of my background and I worked for Johan Cruyff at, at some point in my career and Johan Cruyff is one of the most famous players, coaches of all time, guy behind FC Barcelona and Ajax Amsterdam. So when they came to me, that really lit a fire a passion that I kind of like didn't even realize that I was still there. So I became involved with kind of like the, the party that submitted the bid as as, as as a managing partner. Ultimately, the bid fell apart a couple of weeks ago because of the politics and, and the complexity in that for that particular team, which was even for Dutch or European standards, outrageous. But yeah, there, there, there were some great new friendship sports and, and great new network activated that was pretty dormant for me. And mm-hmm. uh, so who knows where that will lead and and maybe there's going to be another team or another investor group that wants to talk about that.
1: So you, you heard that. So everyone that's out here now that is, that is interested <laughs> in investing in, in, in Dutch soccer or, or anything around sport, but particularly soccer, maybe Dutch soccer. Dr. Bob here is sitting right here. So uh, Dr. Here, tell everybody how to get in contact with you. If someone wants to, to learn more about the program at UNT Frisco or if they want to get advice from you or if they just thinking about coming to graduate school
0: yeah it's very easy if you know how to spell my name you can find me because I'm (laughs) the most famous Bob here in the world that's not a brag that's you know it's not a common name so you can find me just by typing Bob dash or Bob uh, here H-E-E-R-E my email address is bob.here at unt.edu and you can find me there and, and I'm easy to find and I always respond to emails, Uh, I always love meeting new people, talk to new people, and if I
1: can help anyone, we'd love to. And it's been a pleasure talking to you on the air. We, and as you can tell, Dr. Hare is very honest, very straightforward. He's not going to not gonna sugarcoat anything. Uh, he's not rude either. But we have had our healthy uh, conversations. I never got upset talking to him. Uh, but now, like I said, he and I are, are pretty much almost on the same page when it comes to esports and a higher education. But we both have definitely a, a great love for sport, a great love for people. And, again, I just want to say thank you again to all of everyone, that's best, all my uh, listeners that are back. I'm so happy to be back. To Dr. Marks masterclass podcast be listening out for and watch out for another episode in the next week or so and um, i'm excited to be back as i said once again and again please remember please protect yourselves and practice 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 good health wash your hands all that good stuff for you we're not wearing masks right now because we're kind of far apart from each other but i still i still rock my mask i got my mask right here as you see so you've been listening to dr mark's masterclass podcast on the map, map sports Esports podcast network powered by innovation media enterprises shout out again to Aaron and see thank you for holding me down always and again Again, to my main man, Gage, thank you, Gage, again, with for making sure that we sound great. And remember, you can control three things, my friends. You can't control other people. You can control what you think, what you do, and what you say. Remember that. You can control what you think, what you do, what you say. Thank you again. We look forward to seeing you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the Esports Futuride Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed.